0: The Irish Nation. After one of the most chaotic weeks in Notre Dame football's recent memory, we've had one more weekend of football that for all the chaos that was the 2021 football season came up one game of chaos short for Notre Dame. Oklahoma State, of course, dropped a game that opened the door for the Irish, but Bama, Michigan, Cincy all hold serve. Notre Dame barely misses out on the college football playoff finishing in the number five spot, but silver lining get a place in the Fiesta Bowl against those same Oklahoma State Cowboys.
1: It really was a bummer. That Oklahoma State game gave us a uh, sliver of hope, I think, once it occurred. I had already <laughs> kind of accepted right after the game that we were going to somehow luck into the into the playoff, uh, but as Brett said, needless to say, it, it wasn't to be. But regardless, great season. Um, we have a great show for you today. We're going to walk through the the playoff and bowl game announcements, and then we're going to do a very, very brief look ahead to the Fiesta Bowl. But uh, overall, we're going to plan a much more detailed breakdown of that game in the following weeks um however before we get there uh recapping our last two shows uh last week the Marcus Freeman announcement is now official it was technically unofficial when we recorded our podcast last week but it was basically the worst kept secret in all of sports um the university just hadn't officially announced it yet uh but it is now, it is official now um and since then frankly there there actually hasn't been that much news
0: Yeah, Freeman has not made an announcement on defensive coordinator yet to fill his spot as he elevates the head coach. But it sounds like he will be the defensive coordinator and and continue to hold that role through the bowl game. We said on the show last week, Tommy Reese, Mike Elston, running back coach Lance Taylor, tight end coach John McNulty, cornerback coach Mike Mickens, safety coach Chris O'Leary, and strength and conditioning coach Matt Bayless are all back. Uh, that's listing a lot of coaches. That's a lot of continuity for this staff. No reports yet on offensive line coach Jeff Quinn or wide receiver coach Dell Alexander. However, strength and conditioning, or sorry, special teams coach Brian Kelly is headed to LSU along with an assistant strength coach uh, Jacob Flint. So we we have lost a couple assistants to Brian Kelly, uh, but
1: holding much of the key coaches intact. Quick nit there, Brett. You said, uh, you said special teams coach Brian Kelly. It's actually, uh, Brian Paulian, but, uh, that's fine. Brian Kelly has just been overwhelming. He's also going news. to LSU with his family. He is, he is. Yeah, he is. Exactly. Hey, you know the accent there. Um, so no big losses. Takeaway is that the coaching staff largely stayed intact, which is massive. One of the most consistent programs, uh, the last five years, um, is maintaining that consistency, which, which is huge. Paulian though is a hit. He was, uh, is a hit to the program. He was very experienced. Um, and he was a very good recruiter, particularly in, yeah, in, in, in Hawaii. If a lot of the, the notable Hawaiian players, uh, to come to Notre Dame, Paulian was the guy who was the lead recruiter there. Yeah. And that,
0: Ra- Robbie Tomo, Manti Teo, Myron Tungvalo, Mosa, that they all came from the Brian Paulian tree, if you will.
1: So certainly a hit. Um, however, I think the, the fact that most of the coaching staff is staying around, uh, offsets this and Flint Flint, uh, by all accounts is a, a great strength coach, uh, However, we're keeping Bayless, and certainly that's, that's the bigger piece there. Um, so best of luck to Flint. From what I've read, it sounds like he's a hardworking guy, someone who's earned this opportunity. So hopefully he establishes himself, uh, you know, as, as one of the top, uh, strength and conditioning coaches in the country. Um, now, uh, just as importantly, uh, we talked about the stability of the coaching staff. Uh, recruiting has actually been pretty stable as well, which is, which has been great after a coaching change. The only decommit we've had so far has been three-star recruit Devin Moore uh which we referenced on the last show. Uh so he's a three-star right now, however, a lot of recruiting outlets um do talk about him a bit more favorably. They think he's potentially a little um uh underrated, someone who uh could be a bit of a diamond in the rough. There is some optimism that we may be able to bring him back though. So keep an keep an eye out for that. I think we have an in-home visit with him coming up soon. Um no other decommits have followed. M. Ryan Walker though and CJ Williams uh have both been at risk. That's not new news. That's been talked about the last few weeks. Um one, one other call out that we should mention is that, and this is a rule that I wasn't even aware of until, until, uh, until Brian Kelly left, is that if a head coach departs the program, it triggers a rule where that program can now give a fresh round of official visits to the recruits, even if they've already visited before. So this is a fairly recent rule and it's meant to help offset the impact of coaching departures. Now, Marcus Freeman, not wasting a minute, he already is planning a big weekend of official visits this weekend, uh, with recruits who mostly have already had their official visits. So, uh, certainly I think that's just like an added, uh, tool that we get to utilize and will help just ensure even more so that that class stays intact. Maybe, maybe we can even add to what we have. I don't want to get too optimistic, but, uh, you know, I think certainly there's a, a certain energy around the program that, um, is lending into itself a, a lot of optimism. So overall takeaway here, since the Freeman news broke, really crazy for a while but once the, the situation stabilized there really hasn't been a ton of news which is which is good news
0: yeah no, no news is good news following a, a tumultuous week that that you know from our perspective concluded in a really great way with the freeman hire and keeping Reese and a lot of the other staff intact so with that let's dive into the show we'll cover the college football playoff and, and bowl game announcements and a brief preview of the oklahoma state game in the fiesta bowl my current and former players you are my why. You are my motivation. You are the reason I get up every day and work as hard as I can. The college football playoff will feature Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, and Cincinnati. Notre Dame just missing out on the uh, top four, finishing in the number five spot in the final college football playoff rankings. Mike, are, are you surprised by the announcement? Do, do you think Notre Dame had a case to be in the top four? Any, any big takeaways?
1: No we Brett you and I we talked about this quite a bit um certainly, we needed a lot of things to happen, and a lot of them did happen we were we were really uh an auburn upset uh, away from making the playoff i think i mean it it's not an absolute certainty that Bama wouldn't have gotten in, but I, I do think in that situation we probably would have gotten in um but we were very close one one more game uh one more kind of like chip falling our way away from from getting in uh 11 and 1 in many years that potentially would be enough for us to get in but this year we just didn't have as strong a schedule as uh, as we normally would and and that's that's not not really our fault um as i mentioned we said 6 weeks 6 weeks ago that we needed Wake Forest, Cincinnati, Oregon and Bama to all lose so we got two of those four to happen Wake Forest um and Oregon lost and then we also got chaos in the Big 12 which we needed um and, uh, frankly, it was unlikely for the Big 12 to end up with a two loss champ, but, but that is what happened as, uh, Baylor pulled off the, Baylor pulled off the, the, uh, the game there. Um, however, if, uh, if Baylor had not dropped the game earlier to TCU, it's really interesting, uh, who would get the fourth spot there. That's not relevant for Notre Dame. Notre Dame wouldn't be getting in there, but it is an interesting kind of like sidebar to think if Baylor would have been able to, uh, sneak in if they hadn't dropped that bad loss to TCU. But alas, uh, I do think this was a. The committee got it right. I think there was a clear top four this year, um, and no no complaints with the top four from my perspective. I think ND is appropriately ranked, and uh, again, it's a bummer to be the the first team out, but uh, I, I do think based on what we did this year, that seems appropriate.
0: Yeah, it's you mentioned the Baylor loss to TCU, really inexplicable for TCU, who had gone through a coaching change and and really a, a program going in the wrong direction for all the chaos that was kind of the big headline of the season. Everyone keeps using the word chaos. The last five, six weeks of the season didn't have a ton of chaos like that. Baylor TCU loss was probably the biggest upset. Uh, You know, Utah took down Oregon. Utah was favored in that game. And then Utah backed it back up by blowing out Oregon again in the Pac-12 championship. So for all the tumultuous start to this season, not a ton of chaos down the stretch. And and really that put Notre Dame behind the eight ball. Again, this Notre Dame team, eleven and one, but without a marquee win, and and we mentioned strength of schedule. That's interesting. ESPN showed us as having the 52nd best strength of schedule, so pretty middle of the pack. But there's other sites like TeamRankings.com had Notre Dame as the 15th strongest schedule in the country. So, strength of schedules a really subjective stat. It's it's a really tough advanced metric when you're trying to compare a bunch of teams that don't have a lot of um, overlapping opponents, right? How, how do you compare a Big 12 schedule to an SEC schedule to a Big 10 schedule? It's inherently, um, subjective. And the other part of that is some of the systems will value your toughest matchups. Who are your four hardest games? Others will look at your median. Who, who was sort of the sixth or seventh toughest? Um, others will throw out your bottom two or three. So if you play an FCS school, ah, whatever. It's one data point. We'll ignore that. Whereas, other strength of schedule systems rank all 12 of your games equally. So strength of schedule is a very subjective stat. But what I'd highlight out there is Notre Dame had a good schedule top to bottom. We played a lot of middle of the pack teams. USC, UNC, UVA, Virginia Tech, Toledo uh, belongs in that bucket. Purdue belongs in that bucket. But really outside of Cincinnati, no kind of top 10, top 20 matchup that we can hang our hat on. And we came up short in that game. So 11 and 1 without a top 25 win in the college football playoff committee's eyes, at least. Um, that's completely unprecedented for us to make a playoff, um, as a one loss team. In fact, every single one loss team that's ever made the playoff has had at least two top 25 wins. So really, Notre Dame's resume, um, while strong, we completely deserve a New Year's Six bowl really just not a college football playoff caliber resume. We've consistently been saying that on this show and think that, you know, Notre Dame fans should be really happy with the outcome of the season, really happy to be in the Fiesta Bowl. But unfortunately we were just, you know, one big game against Cincinnati uh, away from from being in it this year and, and, and didn't get the job
1: done. Agreed. I mean, I think if you had told me uh, at the uh, beginning of the year that we would be number five at the end of the regular season – that definitely would have exceeded my expectations and i would have said okay that's that's a great sign moving forward this was supposed to be a rebuilding year so if you can achieve something like that in a rebuilding year i think that just points to the strength of the program and the upside moving forward um certainly we're not at alabama's level where uh, they don't have any rebuilding years every year they're a top you know top 2 top 4 team but um but i think if you're at the point where you're number 5 in a year that you have so much churn uh and this year we, have, we also had a lot of injuries too when you have so much just uh of these like kind of like shocks to the system happening and you can still kind of pull this off. And if we win our if we win our uh our game, potentially we could end the year number three. That's I, I think uh going into the year if you told me that was a possibility, I would be ecstatic. Uh, but anyways, moving on to the uh to the four teams in the college football playoff. Um we're gonna take a like, kind of a look at just like kind of uh, a bit of the history of the college football playoff as a whole. So this is the eighth college football playoff. Um And at least three of the top five teams in SP Plus efficiency ratings have made the college football playoff in every year except one. Um, And that year was 2015 when Michigan State made it as the 20th most efficient team per SP Plus. Surprise, surprise, they played Bama, got exposed, lost 38 to nothing. Um, Now, this year, this is the sixth time in the eight playoffs where all four teams in the college football playoff are in the top eight of SP Plus ratings, uh, SP Plus efficiency ratings. So suffice to say, the committee got it right. Uh, the four best teams and the four, I think the four most worthy teams are playing. There's no big outlier here. There's not a team where, uh, you, you kind of look at their resume, you kind of look at the, the advanced metrics and think that they don't necessarily stack up. These four teams all stack up. Um, and so that's, I think, uh, you know, you gotta tip your hat to the, to the committee in that situation. Um, now the only team in the top five of this year's SP plus efficiency ratings not to make the playoff is Ohio State. Um, I think obviously a very talented team. Uh, from an eye test standpoint, they certainly flashed at times. Um, they did have some big weaknesses though, and that and that showed. And that they uh, they had two 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 notable losses, and in particular they got handled pretty badly by uh, by Michigan um, at the end of the regular season.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting that I think the committee had a pretty clear cut Sunday to figure out the top four. What would have been really fascinating to me is if Oklahoma State had beat Baylor and then Alabama beats Georgia as it played out, who gets in? Do, do you leave out Cincy, the undefeated group of five team? Do you leave out Georgia, who got blown out in their conference championship game? Or do you leave out Oklahoma State, who has one loss, but beat their conference champion in that scenario, which, which is a total hypothetical? And we'll never get to you know sort of play that out. It, it is what it is. It's, it's a hypothetical. But I think the committee had a pretty easy decision in front of them after Oklahoma State lost and, and everyone else Held serve, But certainly the fact that four of the top five teams in the SP Plus ratings shows that, one, four of the top five teams in the country from sort of a play-by-play quality of football perspective, uh, an eye-test perspective, if you will, um, also had really strong resumes and, and deserve to be here. Um, and, and that gives us comfort. Where does that leave Notre Dame? Where was Notre Dame to, to finish out the season in SP Plus? Number seven. Uh, we were number five last year when we made the college football playoff. We were actually number 13 in 2018 when we made the college football playoff and number 15 in 2012 when we made the BCS championship game. So a couple times in the past, Notre Dame has squeaked into the playoff or the BCS championship game where the advanced metrics have said, sure, they maybe got the wins and losses resume, but this isn't really a top five caliber football team. Last year we were. Last year we very squarely were in that upper echelon of college football and and deserved to be there both on resume and the advanced stats and and the eye test and however you looked at it. This year, number seven, that's actually the second best SP plus ranking um, since 1995 for, for Notre Dame football. So relative to the rest of the college football landscape, the second most efficient Notre Dame team really in the last 26 years um and and the most efficient was was last year when we were number 5 so we'll come back to this season after the bowl game we'll grade out the team across the roster and across position groups but suffice to say you know you mentioned it the quote unquote rebuilding year puts out really the second best or second most efficient i guess fr- from an advanced metrics perspective second most efficient Notre Dame football team in 26 years um That's after a ton of roster turnover, a new defensive coordinator, injuries. You just got to tip your hat to the coaching staff. I know he left now, but Brian Kelly gets some credit for this, for the players on this roster, for Jack Cohn, just across the board a really good season Um, and just came up a little bit short at the end. But there's no shame in finishing 11-1 and and then being a top-10 team across pretty much every single advanced metric like SB+.
1: Definitely. And, Brett, I also think it's worth noting – we mentioned this before, and I forgot exactly where we were in SP plus to start the year, but we were somewhere in the twenties, I think, roughly. That's where uh, I think Bill Connolly had us. Just because there was so much returning production, um, and yeah, we pretty much rose. Other other than the initial bumpiness, and, and the initial State bumpiness in the first were, couple games, exactly. Exactly. And that made it even worse. So things were looking pretty, I think two games in, <laughs> I'm not going to say we were hitting the panic button, but I think we were, actually we, uh, I think, I forgot who it was. Maybe it was one of our friends sent us like a, a screenshot of our group text. From the first couple of weeks and we were talking about like six and six being like a possibility. We're like, okay, looks like, looks like the worst case scenario might be happening. Uh, but yeah, credit to the staff. I mean, again, Brian Kelly obviously gets a lot of credit here too. Cause I mean, obviously he was running the, the program for this entire season with the exception of the last week or so. But, um, yeah, I mean, they really turned it around and, um, it, it really turned around in the best way possible. I, I, I don't, I actually. Couldn't have anticipated that it would have, like, shaken out exactly how it did. The fact that we almost made the playoff, that's that, that's pretty remarkable to me. Um, and I, I do think, like, another comment on these SP Plus rankings. Brett, you made the point that um, they suggest that we do belong, especially last year. And that generally holds up against uh, the competition that we played. When we played Bama last year, I mean, that Bama team was ridiculous. They annihilated everyone. But we generally held up decently well. The game wasn't truly over till like, well into the second half. Um, we were generally hanging in there. Um, they certainly beat us handily. You know, I think there was no question that they were going to win, but I would say we certainly looked like a team with a pulse. We certainly looked like a team that deserved to be in the playoff. Um, and yeah, I mean, we showed better than we did certainly in, in 2012. Um, so yeah, I think, again, I think there's a lot to take away from the season and, yeah, I think when we look forward to next year, this could be seen hopefully as a big uh, building block for the future. Um, and what a building block that is if you're <laughs> if you're a top five team in the country. So, anyway, I think yeah, lots to take away from this season, a lot of positive things. Um, and I think with kind of all that all that said, um, now we can kind of move on and uh, talk about the a little bit about the Fiesta Bowl and uh, what that means. Um, and kind of like some implications around that in terms of like these big bowl games and and what that has meant historically for Notre Dame's football program. My sense of urgency is for right now. It's to make sure that this team is prepared on January 1st in the Fiesta Bowl to be victorious versus Oklahoma State. Okay, so hopping into the Fiesta Bowl. Um, so I mentioned in our last segment, there is some historical significance here. These are this is one of those talking points that you constantly hear about from talking heads. It's something from Notre Dame from Notre Dame uh haters to Notre Dame fans. It's it's a point that's frequently frequently brought up. Notre Dame hasn't won a major bowl game since the nineteen ninety three to nineteen ninety four Cotton Bowl against Texas A and M. So we're gonna lay out quickly a list of all those big New Year's six bowl games or above. Some of these are playoff games, some of these are, are championship games, um but lay out kind of how these have all uh, shaken out over the last 20 or, well, I guess the last 30 or so years. So uh, since then, we had the 1995 Fiesta Bowl against Colorado. We lost 41 to 24. We were actually a seven-point underdog in that. So we did not cover the spread in that scenario. In the 96 Orange Bowl, that next year, we lost to Florida State 31 to 26. For that game, we were a 10.5-point underdog. We did actually cover the spread in that example. In the 2000 Fiesta Bowl, lost to Oregon State 41 to 9. Brutal loss. We were actually a three point underdog. Did not cover the spread. And in this case, vastly underperformed what we were expected to do. Uh, in the 06 Fiesta Bowl, lost to Ohio State 34 to 30. We were a four and a half point underdog. So we actually barely covered the spread in this situation. Uh, in 2007, the next year, played LSU, lost 41 to 14. We're eight and a half point underdogs. Did not cover the spread. Jumping ahead to one of the more notable games in here was the 2013 BCS Championship against Alabama. Referenced this uh, in the last segment a bit. Uh, this was a game where we had a great season but clearly did not belong. Lost to Bama 42-14. Uh, we were 10-point underdogs. Did not cover the spread. 2016, Fiesta Bowl, Ohio State, 44-28. Uh, Three-and-a-half-point underdogs. Did not cover the spread in this situation. And then the next two are our college football playoff matchups uh in the, in the last few years. So 2018 against Clemson, the Cotton Bowl 30 to 3, 10.5 point underdog did not cover. 2000 last year, Rose Bowl lost to Bama 31-14. Uh this was the one where I mentioned where it seemed like we held up a bit better than we had in the past. We were just playing a, a behemoth team. Uh we were a 19 point underdog in this one and so we covered the spread. Um so that's that's the list of all the games that we have since uh since that 93-94 Cotton Bowl win.
0: So why are we going through these? This is not meant to be a you know pain exercise for Notre Dame listeners to to maybe listen to the nine most grueling losses, sometimes in, in embarrassing fashion for, for Notre Dame. Um, really going back for most of Mike and I's Mike and my lifetime, we're bringing up these games for a reason. That's nine major bowl games going back to 1995, and two things stand out. We're 3-6 against the spread. So one, Notre Dame is due for a big game. Uh, we have not done well against the spread. We've not lived up to expectations in these games. Um, and, and, and that's the second point. Notre Dame hasn't played well in big bowl games. That narrative is true. E- even adjusting for the matchup, adjusting for how competitive Notre Dame was expected to be, frankly, we haven't shown up in these games. We haven't met expectations, and you can see that in performance against the spread when, when we're three and six against the betting lines. However, the other big takeaway in, in these nine major bowl games over the last 26 years is that we were an underdog in every single one of these nine games, nine straight times. um, We've been the underdog. Notre Dame has never been favored. In fact, in six of those games, the spread was more than seven points, more than a touchdown to put that in perspective. When the spread is greater than seven points in a college football game, the underdog has less than a 25% chance to win almost every time. There's some exceptions to that, but almost every single time, if the spread is seven points or more, you will have less than a 25% chance to win. When you're a 19-point underdog to Alabama, you have like a 5% chance to win. You are not going to win that football game. It is just not statistically in the cards for you to win that game with any level of consistency. So, again, we've we talked about this if you go back and listen to Episode 8. Why is Notre Dame an underdog in all of these games? Frankly, a lot of times it's because Notre Dame is overrated. And, and be, because we're overrated or maybe being overrated is the result of this, we are put in big games because we're such a relevant program. We bring in TV ratings. We make the bowl games relevant. We draw a big fan base to show up. And so we get stretched up into bowl games. We get stretched into the BCS Championship game. We get stretched into the 2006 Fiesta Bowl or the 2007 Sugar Bowl or the 2013 BCS Championship game when when we really probably didn't belong and were massive underdogs. And it's put us in a really, really bad position being an underdog now nine straight times in major bowl games. But, Mike, that's not the case in this game.
1: No, it isn't. And I I do think... Um, one thing that's worth pointing out is the last two years, we've also, per the advanced metrics, they have us pegged more as a, as a top, like a top, around a top five team, um, which is somewhere where we generally haven't been hovering around as much in the past. Um, so no surprise when you're hovering around that range more, you're going to be uh, more likely to be a favorite in these games. Maybe not if you're playing Alabama, maybe not if you're playing Clemson. Like if we were in the college football playoff and we we're playing Bama, yeah, we would be big underdogs, um, but so would pretty much anyone else in that situation. Um, but this year the advanced metrics like us were in a winnable bowl game. Um, we belong and we belong in a big way in a way that we haven't belonged in the past. The Vegas lines are out. And right now Notre Dame is favored by two and a half points, which is actually less than what the SP plus, uh, ratings would imply, which I think is about four points. So if you were to use the SP plus ratings to help select favorable betting matchups, this would be one to actually bet on Notre Dame. Um, so needless to say, Notre Dame is, is favored in this game. And the fun fact here is that this is the first time that this has happened in a major bowl game since 1994, um, which is, uh, pretty remarkable. Like we said, we've, we've, uh, had a, a long streak of losing these big bowl games, but we haven't been favored in any, And many, we've been big underdogs. Um, so if you were to actually predict a time for Notre Dame to finally buck this trend, this would be the game to select. Um, for sure. and, some, and.
0: and, and- for, for, for this team, too, you know, Brian Kelly leaves them in the dust. Um, Freeman gets hired. Tommy Reese stays in place. You know this team is fired up. You know this team has a chip on its shoulder. You, one of the interesting things about this Notre Dame team right now is almost always Notre Dame is the most hated team in college football, yet there's a whole bunch of people pulling for Notre Dame because they think, you know, Brian Kelly mistreated them or, or went out the wrong way, and, and you're getting all these people that – usually are not on Notre Dame's side and, and they're squarely on the bandwagon. So I think it would just be an incredible narrative for Marcus Freeman if in his first football game as Notre Dame's head football coach, he pulls off a major bowl game victory, something that we haven't seen happen since the Lou Holtz era, right? Brian Kelly never got it done in 12 years. Uh, Bob Davey never got it done. Tyron Willingham never got it done. Charlie Weiss never got it done. If If Marcus Freeman could come in, and you know, write the perfect script for your first game as Notre Dame football's head football coach. Uh, you gotta imagine it's it's winning the Fiesta Bowl here,
1: definitely. And I'm just thinking about the energy that would provide to the program, which is already pretty amped up uh, with with Freeman coming in. If he comes in and then he wins this game, that's like a little credibility already, um, which you, I think he already has. But you win a big big game like that, just like when he goes on the road recruiting in the off season, which is uh, which is prime time for that. Uh, it just makes them look even better, and it's going to have the people in the program feeling even more fired up, feeling more like they selected the right guy. Um, and when you have the the first game next year, when the first game next year is Ohio State, uh, you need certainly all the juice that you can get uh, as motivation to to get the team going. Um, so we'll see. Needless to say, we're we're uh, we're very excited about this matchup. Hopefully, we can kind of. Uh, eliminate that talking point that people always bring up about Notre Dame not winning major bowl game. I do. Part of me does think that the, uh, the people who really like to hammer in on that point, they're just going to move the goalposts like that. that it always happens with, a, with any team that uh, a group of people hate they'll just keep moving the goalposts until it gets to the point to where you can't even do it. You can't even like say anything negative anymore, or you just say that they cheat. I feel like that's what happened with Alabama. They've won so much now that the people who actually truly hate them will just say that they think Saban's cheating for this. They'll be like, Oh, Notre Dame is uh they're one in 10 or the, we'll say that we're one in nine in our, our last big bowl games. You know, that, that, that's the data point that they'll use, but at least it's a weaker point. Um, and so that's certainly something that I'll take uh, moving on to this Oklahoma state team. Um, as we mentioned, they lost a heartbreaker to Baylor, literally, literally inches from uh, from changing the outcome of that game. Felt like something from Friday Night Lights. Not sure that if they get in the, they get into the college football playoff anyway. As we mentioned, uh, they were probably on the outside looking in, but again, came up very short, um, and at the least, that, w- that would have sent them, sent them to the Sugar Bowl. We're going to do a full preview on this upcoming matchup against them in a couple weeks, but uh, we want to give a couple quick notes. They're, they were eleven and two on the year, losses to Baylor and Iowa State. Both defensive minded teams. Uh, Baylor, for instance, was, uh, number 16 in SP plus for, uh, for defense. Iowa State was number 31. The only other top 30 defense that they played was Kansas State, and that was way back in September. Um, Oklahoma State, uh, on offense, on the other side of the ball, they're number 67. So not nearly strong. They're certainly below average for a power five team. Um, they're not gonna, they're not gonna like, generally they're not gonna put up a ton of points on you. Um, ND, uh, for that matchup against their offense, we're number, we have the number 13th most efficient defense and we're particularly good against the run, which is Oklahoma State's strength on offense. So you have a bit of a strength on strength matchup here. Um, and I think that favors up, favors us. I think that's a good matchup for Marcus Freeman's defense.
0: On the other side of the ball, Oklahoma State is one of the best defensive teams in the country. According to SP Plus, they're the fifth most efficient team. Uh, right up there with Wisconsin and Cincinnati in the top 10, which gave Notre Dame struggles er- early in the season. Now, one caveat-breaking news that-, that came out just before we started hitting record here is that Oklahoma State's defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, is leaving the program to be the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Now, interestingly, Oklahoma State has not confirmed if Knowles will be coaching in this bowl game, but Ryan Day has confirmed that he won't start at Ohio State until after bowl season. So not sure if Jim Knowles will be on the sideline, but certainly a big distraction for, for the defensive unit for Oklahoma State. And, and really, when you think about this team setting aside that noise just as a top-10 defense, from that perspective, this is really similar to early-season games against Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Toledo, playing a team that has an elite defense and a below-average offense. And that's the part of the season where Notre Dame struggled. So we've talked a lot about the resurgence of Notre Dame's offense. Some of that was driven by weaker competition in October and November. But a big part of that was also driven by a change in scheme, going more up-tempo, going to a quicker passing game, going to more zone reads up the gut in, in the running game. Um, and it was also partially driven by just improved play from from some key players. Jack Cohn, in, in particular, we've highlighted a lot on this show, is really improving as the season's gone along. So this bowl game will test that narrative. This This bowl game will test the narrative of what's really going on with Tom Reese and the offense. Was it really the improvement from the scheme and and player development, quarterback development, or was it just playing weaker competition? We'll find that out because Oklahoma State has a top 10 defense, and I think this will be a really good litmus test, if, if you will, to figure out where this offense is has truly elevated throughout the season.
1: Definitely. Something we talked about throughout the season was the offensive line gelling. It seemed like that was something that happened as the season went on. And then we talked about Jack Cohn taking a lot of sacks. Um, and he got a lot better at that as, as the season went on. And then there, there are other things like Kevin Austin was very inconsistent throughout the year. But at the end, uh, he actually became very consistent and played at a high level. So these are a few of the things in particular that I will, I will be looking at to see if, uh, as you said, Brett, whether these were actual improvements or if we just happen to be playing weaker competition. Um, so I think in terms of matchups, this is a uh, a particularly interesting one because it, it will be a, a barometer for the offense. Um, whereas other matchups, I don't know if they would uh, provide necessarily the same, the same standard to, uh, to measure that um, progress that we've, we, we think that we've, uh, we've seen. Um, so to close out the show, we'll be back in a couple weeks to preview the Fiesta Bowl in, in more detail. Generally how we've previewed, uh, all of Notre Dame's games. We'll, we'll dive in deep into, into the advanced stats. We'll dive in deep into the personnel matchups. Um, and in that show, we'll also cover the 2022 recruiting class as we get through the all important early signing day period, which starts on, uh, December 15th. So, so watch out for that. Hopefully we'll have some good news. And then after the bowl game, we'll recap the Fiesta bowl hopefully good news, hand out season grades, and do a way, way too early uh, preview for next year. Um, it's been an awesome ride this year. We've got one more game, two more shows to go. Thank you again for all the support. We've absolutely loved going along this journey with our listeners for year one, and uh, we're excited to keep the train going as the, uh, the Freeman era begins in, in South Bend.
0: If you like the show, let us know what you think. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Truly, subscribing really does help us. It it, it helps our metrics and, and track the show and how we're growing. So please, please, if you like the show, subscribe. Leave us a review. Check us out on Twitter. We're, we're always active there. And and we, we love hearing from our listeners. So if there's topics you would like us to cover, if you've got questions for us, please let us know. Really helps shape the show as, as we close out this first year covering the uh, Notre Dame football program with you so that that's a wrap go irish beat cowboys irish beat cowboys